0: This is Rocks to Roots, a podcast presented by the Spokane Conservation District. This podcast series is intended to share education and resources related to land management, conservation practices, and celebrate some of the great stewards of our land here in our region. And welcome to this episode of Rocks to Roots, Conservation Conversations from the Backyard to the Back 40. I'm your host, Hillary, and I'm joined by producer Brennan.
1: Hello, how's it going?
0: It's going great. How's your summer going?
1: The summer is is amazing. It's, uh, it's been, I cannot believe how fast everything's going. Like, I feel like it's funny because COVID started in March and now it's September 1st and it just feels like everything is just flown by so fast.
0: I agree. I can't believe that we are, well, in September. Yeah, it has just gone so fast. So how have you been spending your summer? Have you picked up any new hobbies or what have you been doing?
1: No new hobbies. I've been running a lot. I spend a lot of time out on the trails up in Beacon Hill and Camp Sakani. I live right by there. So I, I run pretty much every day over there. And, and podcasting. I just podcast... All the time. <laughs>
0: you are an official podcast nerd, for sure.
1: How about you? How's your summer been? Uh,
0: my summer has been awesome. I actually did pick up a new hobby. I oh. started golfing. Oh, nice. Yeah, turned 30 and figured it was time to do something else on my free time besides Go socialize at a bar. So.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you can socialize on the on the exactly. on the golf course. Exactly. I
0: know it works out great. Yeah, you have a couple drinks. You're out in nature. Mm-hmm. You get to walk around. So yeah, that's been a lot of fun. So I've been enjoying that. So I kind of got a little bit of a late start, though. So I'm hoping that maybe this weather lasts throughout.
1: I, you know, you can usually golf in Spokane until. Mid October until November, sometimes. So yeah,
0: I was actually out at a, a Trailhead and they had a ten dollar golf from November to January, and I was like,
1: "Hmm,
0: <laughs> I wonder why it's ten dollars." <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's funny. So did you take you take lessons, or did you did you already play golf earlier in life, and you're kind of picking it re picking it up?
0: yeah so my family actually I uh, took lessons when I was super young and I just hated it. It wasn't fast enough for me mm-hmm. and my entire family golfs my mom is a really good golfer. I think I'll eventually take some lessons but right now I'm just having my mom take me to the driving range and then mm-hmm. just going and letting her whip whip yeah yeah going for it
1: next year you should consider some of the Spokane parks and Rec have a lot of good classes for adults and they're oh and they my my wife took a, a golf lesson last year um with the Sp- spokane parks and rec so
0: oh awesome well that's a great tip i am gonna look them up yeah
1: and, and it's and it's very affordable and good hours for people that have jobs oh so.
0: perfect because yeah i know getting off at four and then having to run to a golf course before they close is a little tricky it is yeah yeah I am super excited for this episode. We have just got done interviewing Beth Mort. She is the owner of Xena Designs and also Snapdragon Flower Farm. And just one of the most fun, honest... Her laugh is contagious. She's just a great person all around. And we just had a great conversation with her about her flower farm and about the pollinator project um, that she just got a grant for. Yeah, lots of good stuff. Yeah,
1: I, I mean, the conversation just flowed really well. There was, she just has so much knowledge about flowers. And I was taking notes about, you know, different flowers to put in my yard and like how I can maybe introduce that to my kids. And, I just thought there was just so many things that she just talks about that I just, I, I'm leaving here with a lot of fun ideas. I'm going to go buy a book for my mother-in-law um, and she, and I can get flowers for my wife monthly with her, with their, uh with her monthly subscription. And I, I think I'm definitely going to do that. It's a good way to support a local farm
0: yes absolutely it's all about you know putting those dollars back into our economy and mm-hmm. supporting our local farmers but yeah beth is awesome
1: i will say we mention an acronym a lot in the show it's called she says csa a lot and i didn't know what it was and i we never mentioned it in the show what it is but a, a csa is a community supported agriculture and basically it's subscription model services for like local farmers and that's what a CSA is and we we mentioned it a couple times on the show.
0: Yep, that's correct and we actually have tons of CSAs around. I mean, you can get a vegetable CSA from local farms, mm. you can get a honey CSA, you can get a flower CSA and it's just really a great way to yeah, support our local producers and put that money right back where it came from.
1: So CSA is like a is one of those acronyms that we that we've come to learn in in the the conservation district. There's just uh, there's oh, a oh,
0: like I told you, we're gonna give you a quiz at the <laughs> end of this see it, I'm telling you. Do you have
1: a list of acronyms that I can have? I
0: have a book. When I started <laughs> when I started here, they gave me a little pocketbook, and I kid you not, it's probably like 20 pages, and it's just full of all the acronyms that they use with the Conservation District and then Agriculture. So yeah, I'll, um, I'll pass it on <laughs> to you for your prize.
1: Uh, awesome. Um, <laughs>
0: when you nail that quiz. <laughs> well, let's get into it. Beth Mort with Snapdragon Flower Farm and Xena Designs. Well, welcome Beth to Rocks to Roots. We are super, super excited to have you here. Your energy is just so fun. Mm. I knew you're going to walk in just like a little spitfire you are. (laughs) So I love it. Um, So how are you doing? How's the summer been for you? Man, It has been fast.
2: Uh, first of all, I cannot believe that it is already September. So I'm, I feel like I'm just uh, still back in March in my mind. So I I'm, I'm, feel like I'm perpetually trying to keep up the whole time this year. And um, I'm actually really looking forward to October and November <laughs> and yeah. wrapping it up. So yeah, it's been really fast paced this year.
0: Yeah, I have to say, like, these past few days that it's been a little chilly in the morning, I've actually gotten, like, really excited. Yes. I'm like, ooh, sweater weather. Yes, for real. (laughs) Pumpkins and hot ciders and hot coffee drinks and all that. (laughs) Totally. So I know that you got a new family member. I did. So, and I can't remember her name. Her name is
2: Beretta and she's a Catahoula leopard dog. I almost brought her with me today, but she was really tired. So that was probably for the best. So she got to stay home. But yeah, she's really been a great farm dog and I can't uh, recommend Catahoula leopard dogs enough for people I've out there looking for i never heard of that breed. They're really cool. They're a really neat breed. Yeah, they're, um, they're kind of a bigger dog, and uh, I've read that they weren't a great first-time dog owner dog, but everything else about her seemed like a really good fit. So I was like, oh, I don't really care about that. <laughs> I'll figure that out. We'll see how that goes later on when she's 95 pounds. But
0: <laughs> oh, good for you. Yeah. So first-time dog owner. Yeah, I
2: had a dog growing up, but I I've never had a dog since I've been on my own in the world. So yeah, it's been really fun.
0: Oh, well, yeah. it's been awesome to see her up at your farm stand this summer. She's, She's quite the treat. She's yep. so personable and fun to be around. So. Yeah, I was
2: lucky to have, you know, it's hard for with during COVID times to socialize puppies, I think sometimes, but I also think it's its own virus. Everyone on And their dog, haha, got a puppy this year, it seems like. So having the farm stand was really great because uh, so many people would come up to see her, too. And so they'd see her when she was really little, when I got her back at the end of May. And um, people would bring their kids to visit her and their puppies. And, yeah, so it was really easy to get her socialized. That was good.
0: So for some of our listeners who might not be super familiar with your farm mm-hmm. and your business, can you tell us like where it's located? How big is it? Where and how do you sell your flowers? Sure. Yeah. So, uh, my
2: farm is Snapdragon flower farm and I am located up on tower mountain, up on Jameson road, which is really just kind of the very beginning of the Palouse highway, but only about five minutes from the South Hill target. So I'm really pretty close to town. I rent and lease from Heron Pond Farms, so I'm an incubator farm on their property. I call them my parent farm. And I'm probably growing on about a half of an acre, so super small, super intensive growing. I have a farm stand every Saturday. Last Saturday was my last farm stand of the year, but I also sell to florists. I have a bouquet subscription. I sell sometimes to the main market co-op, wrap bouquets. And then do like DIY weddings or events so people can buy bulk flowers from me that way as well.
0: Are you the only one working up at your farm or do you have I Well,
2: I, I am pretty much a one person show with the exception of a really, really good friend of mine, uh, Tom Crisp, who has been able to help me almost every day for the last year on the farm, just for, we call it for farm bucks. <laughs> it's um, something that he certainly wouldn't have to do, but he's been kind of my right-hand man this whole uh, last year. So midsummer till this summer, and I have a feeling that it won't last forever. So I've been really appreciative to have him up there. And kind of, it's been great because it really helps me realize that I probably need to look seriously at hiring help um, for the next year or the following year. So yeah, it's a, a huge difference to have an extra set of hands to help out.
0: Are you looking to extend your farm or get a little bigger or? You know, I, I kind of feel like this year
2: I bit off a little bit more than I could chew. We got a greenhouse that just was up and running at the end of February this year. And I started, I had one more block that I had added last year, about seven 50 foot uh, four by foot rows. So I thought, oh, maybe I'll add a couple more blocks on this coming year, but I think that my bigger plan is to kind of spend the time that I lacked planning for this coming season that I had to put into getting the greenhouse up and running and really sort of look at how I can farm what I've already got going much more efficiently. So that's that's sort of the goal. I'm hoping that I'll be able to crank out more flowers, better quality flowers, and still work at improving my soil and rotating some of those blocks that are already in production by just maybe planning a little bit better with what I've got so far.
0: On that note, can you share with us a little bit more on how you started your farm? Did you take advantage of any local trainings or workshops? One of the workshops that I took is
2: Florette is a small scale flower farm over on the west side. I believe she's in Mount Vernon or the Skagit Valley and for anybody who's interested in flower growing they probably already know about her but if you don't you should check out all of her social media it's F-L-O-R-E-T and she has a really great um workshop for beginners, and I think really anybody who's in um, Growing Flowers could get a lot of great information out of it. She has a lot of free material and videos and information. Her blog is a really great resource, and I relied pretty heavily on her teachings. And then Uh, There's some other flower growers in the area that have been doing it for about 15 years, so I I definitely asked a lot of questions and bugged a lot of people. And then also just the small farmers that are established here, I relied on them a lot with a lot of questions about how they they do for their vegetable farms and just kind of trying to employ that into flowers.
0: So when did you realize that you really liked growing things and decided, I'm going to start a business doing this?
2: Well, I I think I've always been in nature. We grew up. I grew up in kind of a rural area. Was just outside all the time, climbing trees. My mom and had a dad had a really big garden, so I was always gardening. My previous schooling was in ecology and plant and mushroom taxonomy. So I just, I've always been a super plant nerd and worked at nurseries and it's always just been what I've been drawn to. But I thinking, oh, I better get, you know, like the real job. <laughs> so I, you know, kind of took a right turn and did a master's in urban and regional planning. So I was kind of trying to figure out like, how do you make this... You know, our natural, our environment, our like built environment, which is our habitat as humans, like kind of mesh with the natural world. And um, through that, I sort of found permaculture and I was working for the Department of Ecology and I just realized uh, that an office setting wasn't, it's not my best place on this planet as a human being I'm not (laughs) at my best I'm like a hamster in a wheel so I realize I may have to go back to that at any time you know there's you never know what's going to happen but I, I hope that I can stay in farming or be working outside as I'd rather die in the field than behind a desk right now in my life so (laughs) that's yeah I think I just realized that I had to give it a try so this is my fourth year so it's been about yeah four years that I have fully invested in trying to make this my livelihood
0: so did you say that's one of your most favorite things about your job is just being in the outdoors and having that freedom? Yeah,
2: and definitely hard work. I think sometimes I think that I don't I'm not as efficient and I don't use tools and machinery as much as I could because I just think do it all by hand and. I, you know, it, it's hard on your body, but I think it keeps me out of a lot of trouble. So <laughs> if the harder I can work and the longer I can work, I'm not in jail yet. I'm, you know, it's just like, it's way better for me, uh, to just be working really hard. So that, that part's really good and being outside and yeah, being in a natural, a nature environment is really good for my head and my heart. So yeah, that's a good fit.
0: So can you take us kind of on a little tour in our minds of what your farm looks like? I know you mentioned you have a greenhouse, Mm -hmm. but kind of like what your bed setup is. And then if you have any, you know, tips or gardening tips or that you want to share. Oh, man. Well, I am out in kind of a really open
2: area. It's uh, if you imagine kind of sort of the rolling wheat fields of the Palouse Highway It's a probably 10 to 20 acre parcel, so there's a bunch of homes that are in the middle of all these wheat fields. It's sort of a typical scenario that you see um, in some of the ag land in the county. And so I'm in a wide open area. It's old pasture and old wheat fields. So there's not a lot of, uh, shade cover and it's extremely windy. That's probably the hardest thing that I have to deal with is the wind. And it's, (laughs) there is not a level space on the entire place, except now probably where the greenhouse sits. It's just enough rolling topography to be a bit frustrating at times. So. My house kind of sits in the center of the farm. Well, sort of the center, more on the east side. And I have one fenced garden on one side that is usually my sweet pea garden or my vines. And that that was the only fenced area that I had when we moved in. Uh, And then I've just slowly put blocks of four foot by 50 foot beds in and around the house and the greenhouse area. So I have a total of three, four, four full blocks with that are maybe like seven rows each that I'm growing on right now. So it's pretty open. Like like I said, there's not a lot of tree cover and we have like a shared drive that runs between my one the west side of the farm and my house. So it's it's all kind of a straight shot. So the, the snow and the wind are pretty serious out there so yeah when it feels like it's just it's kind of apocalyptic <laughs> sometimes <laughs> but, i mean it feels like yeah there's that the wind is probably the center of adversity on my farm so i i can't really uh put that in a in the picture but boy if, if i have a really windy day i keep saying i'm gonna have a kite festival out mm. there because i'm trying to find a way of loving the wind instead of wanting to just like find it and choke it to death you know <laughs> oh <my laughs> so
0: God. yeah Adapt. i will like you <laughs> <laughs> yeah right i'm gonna have a kite festival it's gonna be fun we're gonna do this talk to us a little bit more so what does the growing year look like
2: pretty much start seeds in late january early february so Seating for me starts pretty early, and I, which is why the greenhouse was a big deal because I kind of, you know, jury rigged up rooms and garages and any space I could find. I was lucky enough to borrow part of a greenhouse in the West Central neighborhood, which required a lot of commuting back and forth before I had my own greenhouse. So Seeding starts early and then I only have one high tunnel so I have one covered structure that I can start planting probably in March which I probably could plant that a little bit earlier if I even had a little bit of a heat source in there but and then it runs usually I'm usually harvesting until October this year I didn't get some of my later later season crops in that I had wanted to namely dahlias which is a super bummer so I didn't have dahlias in this year so I'm wrapping up the season a little bit earlier to try and do a lot of that bed prep um, that I never seem to get time to do um, every single year so I'm hoping I can kind of get a hold of that this year better but yeah it's, it's so it's pretty much things really start rolling beginning of February through October typically.
0: And so when winter does hit, what does that bed prep process well, kind of that's look a like? Great and are there question. any varieties <laughs> that are stored through the winter?
2: Dahlias are are definitely the main Guy that I'm digging up tubers and then storing those through the winter, and but I'm I'm collecting more and more seed every year from some of my favorite um, flowers that I can kind of consistently rely on, like strawflower, some zinnia. I've had some luck with some zinnia, a whole list of other guys that I collect seed from. So that is probably more what I'm saving during the winter, anemone and ranunculus. I think that I'm convinced that there's a way to do it. Uh, Maybe tulip bulbs and daffodils too, but um, typically in in the floral or the flower industry, they're treated as annuals. So um, with the exception of dahlia tubers, because they're actually a, a production crop, like you start with one tuber, you end up with maybe eight to 10 tubers when you dig it up. So it's, it might be a an expensive investment if you're getting really nice, fancy dahlias, but you can really propagate your next year's crop and even sell those tubers. Um, I think if they're, there's all these trademarks and the dahlia world is its own animal, so I think you have to be really careful, follow certain protocols if you want to sell dahlia tubers commercially, but those are probably the main main things that I'd be pulling up. And, and to be perfectly honest, I have been pretty spotty about really getting my beds put to bed. Well, so this year I'm I'm hoping for either a lot more mulching of w- using compost or leaves. I have a feeling it's just going to be kind of block by block as I can get materials to bring in and hopefully some manure source and I'm just really feeling like my soil needs a lot of enrichment this year because I've kind of pushed it to its limits. So so that's the hope is that I can get them really heavily mulched before winter hits. And and there's some crops that um, I have some perennial rows too. So there is a certain amount. I'm trying to add more and more perennials every year. Typically, I'm just growing annual crops. So the more perennials that I have in there, the more I can just leave in the ground and kind of do the mulching prep that I need to for those and get let those. them do the work. Yes, let them do the work. <laughs> exactly. I <laughs> if it could all be perennials, I think I'd be definitely going down that path a lot more. So
0: so I visited your farm stand um, a few times, yeah. and you have the most gorgeous varieties. Oh, I mean, flowers I've you. never seen before. I know that, like, the fringy tulip is yes. my favorite. What it, What is that one called? Well, I, there's a couple different – I'm really bad at the names, but fringe tulip, well done.
2: Oh, Because really. there's, like, <laughs> peony-style tulips and fringe tulips and – double petaled tulips and I, yeah there's a whole bunch of them. I like to give them my own fancy names, so but fringe tulip you nailed it. Yeah, they are one of my favorites too. Total winner.
0: Look at me go. I know. <laughs>
2: fancy pants.
0: <laughs> so when you're deciding on these different varieties, like what are you really looking for oh when you pick them?
2: I here's the Confessions by Beth Mort. I have a super problem as a plant nerd and coming into this as not as more of a plant nerd and somebody who whose experience is more in botany versus agriculture this is where I get tripped up because I want them all I want every single pretty flower I see irregardless of whether or not it has a good application in a bouquet or not so or whether you know if nobody wants to buy it or it's a pain in the ass to harvest or you know fill in the blank a number of reasons why you shouldn't put this in your commercial production I every year I'm like well I'll just get a few of them and I'll you know spend all this time and put them in the field and da 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 so, so like challenge accepted I know let's go <laughs> yeah totally that it. you it more work <laughs> more challenges I'll take it So, yeah, if it's a pretty plant, I am a complete sucker. So this year I'm really trying to um, pay really close attention to to my best sellers and then have my best sellers and producers and ease of harvest, like what are the variables that – that make me as typically one human with God bless Tom, please never leave me if you ever hear this. <laughs> <laughs> I'll win the lottery or something. Like how, how do I get those best plants and give them the majority of the space and then maybe have my, addiction block or something (laughs) which is you know we'll cover the pollinator project a little bit later but there is part of my selfish incentive for that is that wow I have a space that I could just let some of these things go and just enjoy them in the field and harvest on occasion you know and just have a place where I can go enjoy those flowers and they're not just like production you know so I so I do have a set of variables, but I've also learned them and I'm still learning them. I mean, I'm so green at this still. Four years is just like nothing. I which is part of what I love about this is I'm constantly learning. I have I have lesson after lesson after lesson. and God knows what lessons I've got ahead of me. but, uh, those variables are becoming a little bit more concrete for flowers to to sort of determine. You know what what gets m- this particular flower out in the field and then also what um how much space do i dedicate to that and then you have to kind of pay attention to the trends too i think vegetable farmers experience this too with restaurants a bit florists are you know can be a really big customer for a flower grower and so trying to stay ahead of the trends for wedding seasons and just like color trends and new flowers that are coming out Florette, i really think that she sets a lot of the trends too because she's constantly finding really cool varieties and and even if say that you were going to, you know, devote part of your own landscape or yard into a cut flower garden, I would totally recommend going to her site and seeing what what she's offering every year because there's always some group of flowers that are just like cutting edge, you know, really beautiful, super unique and yeah, so there's a lot of trends to try and keep up on too. Not just, oh, that's a pretty flower that's completely got no use for anything.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So what's a variety that you're like holding on to right now? Oh my God. Um, There, let's
2: see, something that I, there is, okay, honeywort or syrinth is this really beautiful, it's in the borage family and it, it, it has, it, it can be incredible in bouquets. It's a little finicky when you harvest it and you're conditioning it, but there is a blue, this blue purple color. It just makes me think of like an outer space plant. It's mm-hmm. super uh, succulent looking, and it's this green, blue, blue purple that is really mm. hard to get You know, in in flowers or foliage, especially I, I feel like in my area, at least of what I've found so far for Eastern Washington, let's say. But, you know, it's so finicky and can really crap out on a florist if they're using them for events, if it's not conditioned right. Or I haven't really cracked the code consistently to give that information when I sell that flower. But the bees go mad for it. Mm. It's really easy seed producer so it's one that I every year I'm like I'm never growing that again I don't harvest it it takes up space but I think I just need to put it in my landscape or have my like addiction block or my just for me block where I can just put that in or have in pollinator sections this plant that does really well that I can take from sometimes and so that's one that every year I just think why why am I growing this and never
0: even harvest it, just makes <laughs> <need some> up <laughs> space. So, I just have to say, I'm really loving this term, addiction block. <laughs> and I, we sort of started, you know, for the listeners
2: who didn't hear our conversation prior to getting started, we talked about vices. You know, an addiction block just seems like, why not? All but, you vegetable farmers out there probably have one too I bet. <laughs> oh, yeah everybody's got their got their right. vices. Yes.
0: So what are some varieties that are super easy to grow mm-hmm. and what are the ones that are just like super hard to grow? Oh I you know I think for one thing I would
2: say there's probably a lot of flowers out there that are easier to grow than people might think. So I I encourage people to put on their science glasses and not take it personal. If something fails and give some stuff a shot, Johnny's selected seeds has really amped up their flower, cut flower selection. And so any home gardener or, or beginning small farmer or established farmer could, um, try, I think a handful of seeds from, from their selection or florette as well, um, and give them a shot. Zinnias are always, I think, really easy. Cosmos can be really easy. I think strawflower is one that I don't. I, everyone should have in their garden. It is. You have to start those seeds. You probably should start those seeds early if you can. But I think you can still have success. They they'll they'll have little volunteers out and about. So I know that they could be started in the ground. There's also snapdragons, sweet peas. Um, Bells of Ireland are all seeds that you could actually put in in the fall and um, mulch over them and just let them over winter. And they probably do better than if you start them in trays or put them in the ground at, at, as soon as you can work the soil. So there's there's kind of this there's a really great book called Cool Flowers by Deborah Prinzing that for our area in particular is a fantastic book for anybody to have mm-hmm. um, as a resource for what those flowers are that that really can take cold weather and prefer it and do really good during the season if you can get them in really early. So, but sweet peas too, I think it's just their cool weather crop. So people that have had failures out there, don't give up. Just, you just gotta not take it personal and keep trying. Cause that's another one that you can't beat that fragrance and everyone should have them in the garden.
0: I love that advice that you just gave. Don't take it personal. Take it personal. Get out your science. Yes. Just, yep. Use your science classes This is an
2: experiment it's not a big deal every year something really fails for me and this year has had a couple gut punches so you just you just have to be like well well that was a good lesson uh yeah and just don't worry about it
0: I'm sure that there are plenty of other farmers out there too who have <laughs> felt, felt the same yes, way so that is your really beer good, good advice that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: do a little bit of that too it's fine
0: so, what was the first flower that you grew up at your farm? I'm going to guess it was snapdragons. But well, funny. <laughs>
2: <laughs> ah, no, I am uh, really glad I can grow snapdragons since it's my farm's namesake. But I <laughs> had no. I thought, well, we'll see how these work. And luckily, I've had excellent success with snapdragons. So, also a really easy one to grow. But I start them pretty early, so I think you can have. Great luck, scatter seeding them. But you know, I don't know. I think when I started this, Urban Eden Farm was. Uh, I I had the wonderful opportunity of working with them for a season. They were in need of some help, and I was not sure where I was going to plant all these flowers I had started. I thought, well, I'll just put them in my backyard. This was before I had fully invested in, just going on my own. And they said, well, why don't you work for us? And then we've got a few rows, just, you know, put all your flowers in here. And so my first round of starting flowers was really a big handful. I think I had snapdragon, sweet peas, celosia, bells of Ireland, strawflower, zinnia cosmos, kind of like that sort of the main players, I guess, and then probably a couple different foliage plants. And and they all did really pretty way better than I expected. So I think some things I, you know, learned maybe I, my timing was off or whatever with them, but it was kind of a handful of different flowers. But zinnias are probably they're like my mom's flower her mom's flower was cosmos and she's never really had a lot of luck growing cosmos so she just you know they always crap out on me but zinnias she's always had in her garden every year and so I think that's the flower for me that just resonates with the connection that got me to where I am probably more than anything and so I've always had that in nasturtiums in the garden so they're both really easy and I think and nasturtiums are delicious so if you haven't had those in your salad, oh, and pansies, yeah, and there's a lot of have by Vi- get violas or pansies and nasturtiums, everybody, and at least plant those this coming year so you can have the most beautiful, delicious salads. Use them on baked products and blah blah blah. I'm going on a tangent. I'm <laughs> yeah. hungry for delicious things so
0: we're just gonna have to flood our instagram feed with all of these different (laughs) seriously Mm. because brennan i'm sure you know all of these varieties (laughs) and
1: (laughs) i'm definitely taking some notes i don't know much about flowers but like i definitely want to like you you talking about like putting these in your yard and like cutting flowers out of your yard yes. i'm like i've never really thought about it and i we just moved into this new house and oh. i have tw- i have twins and they uh. they would love to have like flowers in the yard and i was just yes. like when you're saying like you know plant them now i'm like it'd be a fun thing to do with my kids
2: absolutely mm-hmm. absolutely and talk about you know having a child's eye on plants and flowers really i mean that's i feel like we carry that our whole life you know i mean f- I don't want to go super hard woo woo, but you know I've had these conversations with people where they're like, "Well, you can't eat flowers, so why would you get a like a bouquet subscription?" And I I have compassion for that for that because I I do understand that or why why flowers, you know, and I I feel like it's interesting to that you say that with kiddos because. I, I think we pull that our whole lives like flowers mark all of our rites of passage you know they're mm. there are births our deaths our f-ups when our relationships our <laughs> marriages you know it's so just true. yeah they mark everything we they're they're always there they're kind of like this um background noise almost you know and people sort of buy them flippantly and you know put them on their table but kids really see the differences in flowers and I think in a way every time I'm with children looking at flowers it absolutely rekindles even all of the academic botany you know lexicon I'm just like that's what they're seeing they're seeing all of this in such this light and loving way anyway yeah I think if yeah if you think your kids would be interested in it flowers for sure yeah but out of doubt Mm mm-hmm So
0: what would be some advice that you would give to some very green growers or gardeners (laughs) if they wanted to, yeah, maybe have their own addiction block in their backyard? (laughs) How to begin an addiction block?
2: Yeah. Start ever so small. Put your science glasses on. Do not... Do not get sidelined if something doesn't work. You know, I'm trying to think, what's the zucchini of the flower world? It could be nasturtium. Like it's, and it has such a great dual purpose. You can get trailing nasturtium and they're so delicious. Oh, zinnias. I keep coming back to those, but I think if you start ever so small, maybe pick two things and give them a try. Stay in JV. Don't go varsity unless you can take it. Unless you can take a hit, like if you're willing to go varsity level and pick something really complicated, I'm coming back to that. I was thinking Lisianthus is a really beautiful flower, but can be kind of complicated to get going, um, but is well worth the adventure if you can handle it. <laughs> um, so I, I think that would be my biggest advice. Start small. Pots are great, it, especially if you have an apartment or just Take note of your sun availability. A lot of everything that I'm growing is full sun, full, full sun. Mm -hmm. So knowing what your variables are, like are you in a part sun area? Are you in a full sun area? If you're doing pots, they dry out really fast. So just keeping that in mind that that's working against you. And maybe you just take one row and just let it be an experiment and maybe let your kids handle it. Calendula, that'd be another really easy, easy one that you'll forever have in your yard it's a great reseeder without being obnoxious and it's medicinal you can have it in your salads it's beautiful yeah so I think start small start with just a couple and don't take it personal if everything fails (laughs) it's not it's not a personal offense to you for reals
0: so when you were getting your farm started and everything what were some of the challenges that you faced and how did you overcome them whether it was growing or you know well
2: we moved in right when everything needed to happen so Mm -hmm. we found the location we were at that early that season and so i had started all these plants in the garage of the house that we were in and when we moved in the house needed some work that we did ourselves to kind of get a little bit lower rent while we were there. And then fields were completely raw, so had to be tilled up from kind of old pasture. There was no irrigation setup. Like every single piece that needed to be done had to be done right away. And so I, I'm i always getting kind of the after effect of, you know, what a miracle it would be if I was, you know, I just got this piece of land and i could sit on it for a year and really understand how it worked and then make my planning based on those observations and but we it was just shotgun it was like get anything tilled up i've got x number of plants i need this many rows just to get them in the ground i've got this tiny window before i really have to start things like they need to get growing if i can if i want to meet my commitments for my csa and blah 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 so That was probably the biggest challenge, getting everything running. But it worked out. It totally worked out. And I think that the only way I, is just keep going. I mean, there was no, (laughs) you just do it. You know, there was definitely a lot of missteps and I'm still having a lot of missteps, but I think you just, you just keep going. I mean, what else do you do? I think anybody out there listening, I'm sure you're in a situation right now where it's like, yeah. All I can do, especially right now in the world, right? Just no kidding, push through. So, yeah, and then, and then if you're able to be a little bit meta and kind of have a moment to get outside yourself, take notes or record keep. If that'd be my other tip for anybody, even I mean, just small home gardeners, to I mean, if it's your thing, like if that's your thing, and you want you, you have kind of these goals in mind for your personal gardens or your small farms or your big farms. I think anybody would say record keeping, like go out every week, make, designate some time where you go through and you're making notes or all the things you think you're going to remember at the end of the year you're never going to remember yeah. it then a year because you've had five beers and every day <laughs> just, like get rid of you know like decompress from the season or whatever like if and i didn't do it this year but I, every day i'm like well i'm going to start that record keeping project <laughs> today you know so if i can even get that done before october i'm going to call that a success just to like brain dump everything that i want to remember as i plan for next mm. year but
0: So what's something that you have learned as of recent? You know, we're in crazy times, right?
2: (laughs) So, uh, and we keep hearing about it. I haven't had a chance to really look or think about my business this year because everything's been moving so fast and what I'm realizing, there's just all these parallels with the like personal relationships I have in my life. And, and all of this adversity that we're all facing and I think, I I mean, I think you you have to look at your business and maybe spread yourself too thin. That tends to be my direction. I tell everyone, start so small, but (laughs) that's not how I roll. And uh, I think there's times when you just have to cut the fat or be really realistic. You know, like how many times can you make a mistake or do a misstep before you realize you have to cut that out or Mm -hmm. make changes? And I think it's true with personal relationships too so there's been this interesting parallel where it's like you know you're in tough times or things are hard or and you find out real fast who your real friends are and you know what like we only have this little bit of time to cultivate these relationships these important relationships successfully so you know you have to pick and choose and and i think it's true with your business too so i feel Mm. like that's my lesson this year and then whatever I do with that, I don't know that balance is really a good word. If you are a business owner, you know, it's great to think your dishes are going to get done if you just put a little more time in balancing balance <laughs> in your life out right. or whatever, but that's been my main lesson this year is just really trying to be honest about what parts of the business are working and what parts aren't and then, yeah, just trying to pay attention to the important relationships that I'm building when all of this craziness is happening.
1: (laughs) How was uh, your, how was your business affected by COVID?
2: You know, uh, amazingly, and I, I always want to talk to some of my other farm, um, humans, I'll be interested if I get a chance to talk with them in the fall. Um, that it's, I didn't, other than weddings and events, Mm. I didn't notice, um, much of a hit, but I think part of that is because the bouquet subscription, the CSAs um, are, you know, they're prepaid the year before. And Mm. so I'll be opening up my 2021 subscriptions relatively soon and I I wonder if I'll have a lot less or if Mm. that will be, you know, something that people feel like they can spend their money on. And the farm stand, one thing about not having as many weddings and events, and I know a lot of my florists friends, though, and clients, like, I think they did really well this year still. And then some, you know, not so well. So it just feels like it's all over the board. Mm. For me personally, the greenhouse is its own animal and that took a lot of time. And so it was exactly what I needed. I don't think I could have taken on more business than what I had just in terms of trying to run what I had going on. So. The farm stand was really, was really great and a lot of fun. And so I feel like that kind of kept me afloat this year.
0: Kind of want to talk about your business structure just a little bit Mm -hmm. more and like the bouquet subscription and your CSA. Mm -hmm. I know that bouquet subscription, and it's a little bit new to me, but it sounds yeah. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, so uh, it's just like
2: a vegetable CSA, except every two weeks or every once, a, every month, you get a bouquet instead of a box of vegetables. So I have a, pi- my pickup location is at Liberty Cider Works, which if you haven't had their cider, it's super
0: delicious. I was going to say, what a great oh, pickup location.
2: <laughs> seriously, I don't toot my own horn very often, uh-huh. but I will tell you the last like three years like of course it wasn't as easy this year but I thought I am the smartest human being because I would have my pickup every two weeks there and I'd go and I'd sit in the air conditioning and I would bring them flowers for their tables and I'd have a cider and it was just like a a complete respite so sitting in a hot parking lot (laughs) isn't this year because we can't go inside you know it's, it's a little bit different but It's still, their cider is so good, so I still get to enjoy their cider, and um, that's been a pickup location, and then my farm stand on Saturdays has been a pickup location, and uh, so if people live on the South Hill or the downtown is kind of, you know, everyone can kind of get to that pretty easy. So, yeah, it's just, you pick up a wrap bouquet, and it's pretty great. People just get nice flowers, and usually, I mean, I try to make a really substantial bouquet, so some people like to leave them just where they are, or you can separate them and fill your house full of flowers, and... You know, arrange them
0: yourself. So it works out really well. And so for anybody that's interested in scribing mm-hmm. to get a bouquet, how can they go about doing that? So if you went on my website right now, which is
2: just snapdragonflowerfarm.com, you can go to the 2020 bouquet subscriptions, which I'll say sold out. But I, I think roughly there's going to be a few changes next year, but roughly you can get an idea of what it looks like and the cost of it. I typically have, they're like $25 bouquets. So it's four months, so every month you get a bouquet for a total of four bouquets. So that's a hundred dollars, and then if it's in the eight weeks, then it's two hundred dollars. And so they'll, it'll be a little bit different next year the way it's set up, but but roughly the same in terms of costs. So and then you can get you can see what the descriptions are like, and yeah, and then I hopefully I'll have that up and running within the month. So that's the hope.
1: Is that something that sells out really quickly, or?
2: Yeah, it goes pretty fast once I open it up. And like I said, this year, maybe it won't be quite as quick to sell out. So I, I try to promote it as well as I can. You can sign up for my newsletter, but it'll rarely get it. <laughs> it's, like, it's the opposite of you know, getting your email flooded with stuff. So I think there are some people who are like, this is the stupidest
0: <laughs> newsletter. I, I love your newsletter. Oh, Oh, your personality shows oh through. I like it. I love it. I'm glad. Well, and I like that it is just you know kind of spotty.
2: <laughs> it's totally <laughs> sporadic, right? There's the You get the newsletter when I'm on my game, and you get the newsletter when I am absolutely uh, hit the very last minute to get information out. So those are the two you can expect. Awesome. Yeah.
0: yeah. Stay tuned for more Rocks to Roots right after this. Summer and hot temperatures mean it's wildfire season. Don't wait until you see smoke in the air to prepare and educate your family, friends, and neighbors about techniques you can take to prevent catastrophic wildfire damage to your home and property by using firewise principles. The Spokane Conservation District offers free firewise risk assessments to Spokane County residents. You can schedule yours today by visiting sccd.org. A forester from the Spokane Conservation District will visit your property to evaluate your home's risk and provide you with a list of practical ways to reduce the threat of a wildfire. Take action and ownership in preparing and protecting your home against the threat of a wildfire by booking your free FireWise Risk Assessment today. Yep, you heard me. Free FireWise Risk Assessment. All you have to do is go to sccd.org to sign up today. Looking for something to do after work or on the weekends? Well, grab your friends and family and head out to the South Spokane Farm Corridor. The South Spokane Farm Corridor is a collection of 14 farms that have a wide variety of farm fresh products to offer, located south of I-90 along the Palouse Highway, headed towards Valley Ford and Spangle. You can pick up anything from organic produce to farm fresh eggs, honey, meat products, and even fresh cut flowers. It's sure to be a fun day filled with learning about today's food and farming culture. Get to know your local farmers and gain a better understanding of the quality of food you're consuming. Learn more about the partnering farms by visiting southspokanefarmcorridor.com or follow the South Spokane Farm Corridor on Facebook for weekly farm stand announcements and fresh sheets. Obviously the varieties of flowers that you have makes you stand out from store-bought. What also makes your flowers stand out and why is it so important to buy local?
2: It's good that you do notice that there's different flowers. One of the, there's a couple really cool things about buying local flowers and just a shout out to all my local flower farmer peeps out there. There's a really good handful of local farmers, flower farmers in our area. and. I would bet there's a flower farmer near you, listener, that is the closest one or a person that you're going to fit with the best to learn all about flowers. We've got them up north, the south, east, west, like Green Bluff area. There's really great flower farmers. So one benefit is that at every farmer's market, you can probably find somebody that's growing local flowers so that I think it's easy to get local flowers. And a lot of the varieties that we're able to grow in our area are you're not gonna see in bouquets because, I don't know, 70 or 80% of flowers that are in our store-bought bouquets are not grown in North America. And so they have to be bred, a lot of times fragrance is bred out of the Mm -hmm. flowers and other characteristics that make them kind of look cookie Mm cutter-ish because those characteristics make it more challenging for them to be cut, processed, Out of water for weeks travel around the world get to you which also you know there's a lot of chemical use in that industry i mean you imagine what it must take to get those flowers and internationally have them travel internationally to get into stores and then Mm. you know all of the processing it takes just to get that bouquet in the grocery store so there's that component of course there's putting the Money right into your direct economy. I mean, it's the same as buying local food. All of those things, and you get to know your farmers. Like getting to know what flowers you have. This whole education of, of different flower varieties and flower families, and different fragrances, and what are edible flowers, and what are absolutely completely toxic and would probably kill everyone in the room. You know, <laughs> like it's really important to know all these different things. And so, or, or for you know, if people are interested in it, the variety is is pretty incredible what you can grow in our area even and and even regionally like if if you go on a trip to walla walla someday when we can travel without worrying and or the west side like there's flower farmers everywhere Mm. it's really there's a huge resurgence and so even just regionally or within the states you can you can get a completely different variety than what we've been just traditionally getting since like the 90s with when nafta really you know kind of cut the legs out of the flower industry in the states same with the small farm Mm -hmm. small food farm
0: so you state in your farm bio that your flower farm produces brilliant flowers safe for people and pollinators by being resilient stewards of the land and that you work with the local ecology rather than against it to use thoughtful agricultural (laughs) practices permaculture and common sense love that so can you tell us um, a little bit more about that and what practices you've implemented on your farm and have you have been able to accomplish this? I see that as there's a long-term
2: component in there <laughs> and there's like my short-term component in my really good long uh, run-on sentence, um, packing it in there. I think my my number one goal is to not use insecticides and herbicides. I I just don't want that as a part of my farm. There are trade-offs. Weeds are serious on my farm and I do the best that I can to keep the bad players from reseeding everywhere. Namely, thistle is probably my my major nemesis on the farm. I just don't I I don't want to be in a position where I have to use those chemicals. And so, what that means is a lot slower, longer learning process of how to manage my farm. I'd like to just do a no-till situation, but that typically lends itself, can lend itself to more weeds if you don't, you know, have really strong, consistent practices that you put into place every spring, fall. And if you're turning over beds and putting, you know, succession crops in, and I have a lot of learning to do, but I think... I'm trying to have a lot of use a lot of wood chips, which are a resource that we have that's free from arborists in town, to keep the spaces between my blocks covered and mulched, and building its own soil and creating its own microbiology that I'm hoping will move into my beds and keep weeds down. And then also just trying to figure out using I do use like landscape fabric, you know, allegedly has like a 15 year life that I can use on the farm to keep weeds down for the crops that, that don't mind having that additional heat because it's a black plastic. I'm trying to learn other things like solarizing, using like big black cloths to prep an entire block prior to getting it in production to kind of get weeds out and looking at using things like flame weeders and just like what are what are the tools that I can use that are chemical free to try and accomplish the same thing but it definitely I mean it's it's a slower a lot slower process and so when like when you had asked earlier if I wanted to expand my farm I I have um, I'm leasing up to an acre so I could double my production but that would require that I sort of have these processes way more in place so this next year I'm trying not to add anything else or reinvent anything else, but just really, and it might take like the next couple years to really dial in using those practices and trying to understand like, who are my pests? You know, I have a series of pests that I do deal with like blister beetle is this crazy pest that keeps coming in, but it, I did mention calendula earlier. It loves to devour all of my calendula and that's the first time I really met blister beetle was it completely decimated Mm. this crop. But now I'm realizing, I'm like, that's a trap crop that I could be planting all around my farm and make sure that I have a succession, not let it go to seed, but let it keep flowering and flowering and flowering. Mm. Because this year with the crazy weather, I thought, oh, sweet. There's no blister beetle. They didn't show up. (laughs) All my calendula's flowered and it's done. And then they showed up and they decimated my asters. They went after all these other weird plants that they hadn't touched You know, the prior two years that I've Mm. had them and mass. But so it's kind of like those are learning lessons where that's a good trap crop. I want to keep calendula everywhere and I want it constantly flowering so that they will go to their preferred flower and leave the rest of my stuff alone, you Mm. know? So there's so it's long term in that I still have so much learning to do. And the weather, I, I feel like I, I can't even predict it anymore. I just have no clue what I'm going to get. It's a total roll of the dice. So I think I don't know what this new year is going to bring, but (laughs) I better be record-keeping and writing it down (laughs) so I can remember for the next year, you know? So I don't know if that really answers the question, but...
0: No, that does. Yeah. So I've heard a little bit about this Fish and Wildlife uh, Landowner Grant yes. that you received with two other farms, correct? Or in, I think, in well, partner with in two partner. other? Okay. Yeah, in partner, yeah, yeah. So can you kind of just tell us about that grant and how that all came about and why it's so important? I know it's a pollinator project. Yeah, I,
2: I had uh, put together a grant actually for a, a, a grant proposal for a tilth grant. must have been early last year, maybe, or the the fall prior and, and didn't receive it, but it was, I had this thought of having a kind of a pollinator sanctuary more than some of the typical pollinator belts that I've seen for, for small vegetable farms or for large, I mean, for any farm people have the opportunity to turn a portion of their production land into pollinator belts or outskirting areas. And so I thought, since I'm on the north end of this 20 acre parcel and Heron Pond is on the south end, what if we could kind of have this sort of sanctuary that gets sort of wraps around both farms and is bigger than just belts or pieces? Because when I put the flowers in, I met pollinators and like beneficial insects and bugs and insects that I have never met in my, you know, 43 years on this planet. Just like, who are you? It was like outer space land. In another life, I would have been an entomologist. It was the coolest thing. Mm. And I thought, you know, this is, and then it would get to the point where I'd, I'd wanted to harvest, but then I was like, well, what if I clear this whole section and I'm kind of in this pollinator desert really, because it's all wheat field around us. And you know, and a lot of people don't have huge landscapes or aren't really super into gardening. Um, on a major scale, so, or it's vegetable gardens. So there wasn't a lot of pollinator habitat in the area. So my flower farm was just like bombarded. And so initially that was my thought for this grant like let's let's do this thing and then and then also I have this natural area I won't feel awful about you know if I harvest it to clear everything and harvest it and get it all put to bed when you know bees are like well it's all my food source you know (laughs) I feel like a total jerk so then with the conservation district I found out about this fish and wildlife grant that was focused I i believe this is correct, but it's focused primarily on monarch butterflies,
1: mm.
2: but open to pollinate a broader spectrum of pollinator habitat. And so what I had put together was a pretty good fit for this grant. So we kind of just went with that and the concept is really to to get as much of this 15 acres total between Heron Pond, myself, and then I think that's on the farm might be the other, or the last tier of that, which is great because they're in our, you know, that corridor, it would be almost like trying to create, like, what if the entire South Spokane Farm Corridor had these pollinator components or this, and with this focus on monarch butterflies so that you were extending this area out as far as you could when we're on, like, the fringe of monarch butterfly Migration. I'm, I'm still learning a whole lot about monarch butterflies. And so I'm, I'm kind of new at that, but I think the idea is that you want to get as much habitat as you can for them as in as much space as you can. So it's not just like a blip on you know it's like total desert and there's like one place that's got milkweed you want to try to extend that space Mm -hmm. so they have it for their entire area that they're in but yeah so it's a 10 we we need to maintain it for 10 years or the agreement is to maintain it for 10 years and um, my hope is that that it would be a combination of just broadcast seed in the and kind of rehabilitating this pasture area to native grasses native plants but also analog plants and by that i mean Other perennials or annuals that aren't aggressive or invasive species that just provide extra habitat, nectaries, and pollination, like food for pollinators, that go well with our native ecology. So Mm. that would extend, you know, they it'd have to be all of the season. So you'd be trying to look for things that are flowering spring through all the way through fall to kind of hit all of the times when our native pollinators are looking for food. So, so there'd be like a broadcast seed component and then hopefully a perennial flowering component and then Heron pond has been working on doing kind of some swales on contour with like a food forest component too so looking at also incorporating different crops really that like berries and shrubs and different trees that produce something for us as well as being really great for pollinators so Mm. just kind of looking at that whole multiple use component for um and and interactive i mean it's like a living classroom so I, i don't want it to just be this stagnant you know, like, oh, throw some seeds out in the, you know, I'm like hoping that it, it's a, it's, that's a lot. It's a lot to what I see at the end, I realize there's a lot of steps to get there. And so there's a good chance that it gets pared down to manageable chunks right away. But I think all of those things are inherent in, and could be added along that 10 years over time.
0: So, so what are some of the species of plants and flowers that pollinators just love? poppies, poppies, poppies. Oh, I and love poppies. Me too. <laughs> oh. Oh, that's
2: a, probably my favorite. Yes. I, say. I and, and they can be in that challenging group if you're starting them from seed in trays. There's kind of the, I don't know, old witch's tale about throwing poppy seeds on the last snow and that's going to melt into the ground. Like they, it, I think they just need that cold stratification. So if you or like me, and anywhere you see poppy pods on your walks, and you're—you've always got some kind of a bag or a jar with me <laughs> to collect seeds. Which I re- also recommend. Like, get your seed nerd containers ready to go. Then, you—you um, you know, I try to save. I try. I can't not scatter it all throughout the season because I just think, well, maybe poppies will come up all the time. But you. You could always save a a portion of that and then try that right out on that, what you think might be the last or one of the last snows of the year. Or you know cold, wet times, and then get your poppy seeds out, and then try that as a broadcast seed for mm. your in your gardens or wherever you want poppies. Oh, I'm trying. Yeah, it. It. I know. It. I'm, I'm running up. To the <laughs> poppy seriously, field right now. <laughs> seriously. Yeah, I've got a whole list map in my mind of every place I've seen poppies in the cities. So poppies are really great. I'm trying to think. Um, you know, daffodils are some of the very first things that that come up, and I think I always see a lot of bees going to those a lot of our native bumbles and some of the other bees like the little first orchardy or mason bees that come out and the great thing about daffodils is that um nobody wants to eat them the voles like ground rodents and the deer won't touch them so i feel like get daffodil bulbs and put them everywhere Mm. for the first early spring and then some of our earliest spring shrubs uh like i think um Oh, I don't know, High bush cranberry I think is a little bit later, but some of the Spokane Conservation District, doing a plug for the tree sale, but a lot of the shrubs that you guys have on your list, I think are really good for shrub category. And then rudbeckia, uh, black-eyed Susans are really good. That honeywort I was talking about, mm-hmm. they totally go mad for that. And, um, Anna's hyssop is this incredible. It's like a hedge. It's super tall. It's this really neat herb. It has a a, a really unique fragrance. The foliage does. And uh, that and bee balm are constant. Like, I can't imagine not having those for, in terms of pollination. They love Cosmos. They love Foxglove. They love Snapdragons. I'm watching their... Little bee butts go into snap flower is it's too much. <laughs> so I mean there's a whole bunch of those but then there's like the whole breadth of native species you know like our Galardia. oh what's the other there's like the little pussy toes is another really neat native. Some of them are trickier to start so like in terms of a um, who's the gal oh she has a really great nursery desert jewels. She does so many cool pollinator plants. She does incredible natives and also kind of that analog plants. Agastache or Agastache, another hyssop, is another great shrub. Yeah. I would go to Desert Jewels. And Blue Moon Nursery, both those guys. I really love both of them. They have a lot of cool permaculture native and great pollinator plant
0: when we think of pollinators bees are always the ones that pop up and maybe butterflies every now and again mm-hmm. but there's a bunch of different pollinators i was doing a little bit of research there mm-hmm. you know there's beetles there's moths. geckos yeah. Moths. yeah i mean there's a quite a big long list so mm-hmm. yeah so so you know thinking about
2: um like if if you are trying to mulch, like if you want to get rid of your lawn and you're looking at putting, bringing in a bunch of chips, I mean, chips are incredible. The habitat that just putting chips into your landscape as a mulch or any mulch, like if you mulch with leaves and just keeping your ground covered, because in nature there's no bare ground. I mean, that's the job of weeds. Their whole job is to come in and build habitat or like make sure that there's activity happening on barren soil. So using chips or some kind of a mulch, it, it builds like beetle banks. It's like its own natural habitat for all these different guys that are super important. Mm. Um, pollinators are beneficial insects to eat the bad guys, and yeah. So that that whole that's that's the thing is yeah. W- bees and butterflies really get the the main pollinator award, or honeybees specifically. I mm-hmm. think a lot of people think of honeybees uh, more than the you know I don't know 80, hundred different bee species that we have. I have to make one more plug if you're a bug nerd. Yeah. The University of Idaho. Go to the (laughs) entomology. There's like an entomology museum. Mm. So you can go and they have, you know, little pinned, like the little glass cases, you know, and people, you know, you see it in movies and there's like a nerd, Mm -hmm. bug nerd pinning bugs onto a thing. You go there and it's file drawers. It's like a, a huge giant room filled with hundreds of file drawers that you can open up and see like all of the bees of the Palouse all of I mean it is and they've got stick bugs you can hold (laughs) and this all sounds terrifying and great at the same time
0: (laughs) it is
2: awesome oh my god it is the coolest thing so yeah. So if you if if you want to see more pollinators, or I mean, it'd be worth making a little trip down there. It was so cool. So yeah. I mean, it's great to learn about pollinators. It, I mean, I have so many books, uh, you know, talking about different pollinators, and especially working on this project, blah blah blah. But going there and being able to see them and see the scale, like how small some of these bees and wasps, that's a whole other world.
1: Are ladybugs pollinators?
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, they're constantly. I think they're probably more somebody, some bug person somewhere is going to be like, no, mm. they're
1: not. <laughs> Here's
2: why I think they might be. Yeah, okay. I know they eat bad guys, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. they're at least a beneficial. Yeah. But they're also, they're on everything. Like they're walking all over my straw flower when they're, mm. their, po- their pollen is out, you know, and then they're flying to the next um, set of flowers. And mm. so I think I don't, you know, they may not be. Seeking out pollen. I don't know if that's part mm. of their food source or if they're just brutal carnivores. <laughs> but I think just uh, by the nature of what they do, that they've got mm. to um, be doing some pollination. Yeah.
1: The reason why I ask is about a month ago in my yard, we literally had like an in, what I thought was like an infestation of ladybugs. Like that's you would like awesome. look at you'd look in the like backyard. We live in a really shaded area, like uh-huh. on a hillside, and you and my wife was like. She, like, works at her desk, like, right at this window. And it's just, like, it was, like, a swarm of ladybugs. (laughs) And I, like, walked outside. And I was, like, what is going on? Like, (laughs) and I walked through it. And I was, like, and they started, like, jumping on, like, like, flying on me. And I was, like, ah! (laughs) And, uh, but I was just, like, but it made me wonder, like, because, but then I was just, like, well... I I was just like I need to figure <laughs> out if these are bad if we need to do something about this and then I was just like everything I was reading was like that they're good yes so like I was just like you just
2: had a magical like witch present or something it was like, it was, that re- was
1: it happened for like three days where we just had just a ton That's of awesome. ladybugs in our in our yard and I it was, was really it was weird say,
0: too I thought that ladybugs are good luck I'm, I'm um, all about see? superstitions and stuff right. so you just got some like yeah. extra lottery ticket
2: Next time you know, get your numbers ready, (laughs) hit those uh, gas stations for that ticket. Yeah, I had a lot of ladybugs this year Mm. too, an exceptional amount, more than I have ever, ever seen. Mm. And so, you know, when people buy ladybugs to release, I think they, you know, they get like a hatch and and it's, but I think they also are, I don't know if this is true, anyone listening, maybe they can write in and tell us (laughs) if this is real, but I thought that they were like pheromone specific where Mm. like i had friends that they had sort of an infestation in their windowsill every single year (laughs) so it was like inside and outside so i get Mm. your terror because it's like really cool and then it's like that's 10 bajillion thousand bugs all (laughs) over the place you know in like one spot but they uh i swear that they had told me that maybe they were pheromone specific. That they mm. maybe return to the same place yeah, to hatch or something. I read
1: that. I read something about that. And I also oh, read really? that if they get into your house, th- they don't do anything in there. And so like they're not really bad bugs. Yeah. And so I I was like I'm not I'm not really nervous about this. Yeah. And so, um. But yeah, it was really it was it was very magic because it's literally it was it had to insane. been I would have to say it'd probably be. Thousands. Yeah. It was yeah. thousands. Wow.
0: Lucky dog. Oh, that yeah. was <laughs> super cool to see. Cool well yay go pollinator that's that's really cool that you were able to get that grant and that you you were able to work with SCD on it Mm -hmm. and everything and so you also touched on the South Spokane Farm Corridor which you are a member of but you were also super instrumental in getting that program (laughs) up and off the ground I know that the first time I met you was 2018 that was my first farm and food expo which you taught at and I know that that was really kind of the kickoff campaign mm-hmm. for the South Spokane Farm Corridor. That's right. So how have you enjoyed being a part of the South Spokane Farm Corridor and how do you hope that the South Spokane Farm Corridor evolves? I, I think it is such a
2: great group of farmers. I love everybody that's um, a part of it. I have completely enjoyed telling people about the farms and how many farms there are. And, you know, I love the... Can I say Green Bluff without the jumpy castles? That's what I think sometimes we say. And I would mean that with all the love in my heart. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, because I love – I was just at Green Bluff, and I just bought a box of peaches. So (laughs) I love it. But it is – you know, it's just like there's – it's hard to explain – What we mean without giving it some context and Green Bluff is like our superstar, you know, so I I say that with a lot of love in my heart, (laughs) but it's been really fun to tell people about it and how surprised people are that they can find produce, grass-fed beef, pork, eggs, and more flowers through that whole corridor. Like it's, it's a thriving little agricultural hub. So I, I totally love it. And the thing that I think is great is that the marketing pieces that were put in place, like I love my sign and it's really cute. <laughs> I love the logo and, I, and I'm and i super appreciative that the Conservation District is kind of running that piece of it. You know, like it's this additional advertising, like I said, join my newsletter that you'll never get <laughs> ever. <laughs> but we have this thing for the South Spokane Farm Corridor where it's constantly being you know put in people's minds and i if i ever think to look i can go there and find out what's happening on other farms and like i wrapped my farm stand up early i usually go till october but now i'm super excited because i have a few saturdays where i'm like i could go visit the other farms finally and go see some of the stuff that i you know i just miss out on every year. So. Yeah, so I I've totally loved it. And I, I kind of feel like it's always had this little organic energy on its own. Like it's like it was meant to sort of happen. And so I, I feel like its evolution will either it'll just kind of really dial in with the number of humans that it is or or it'll kind of have like little mycelium that reach out, you know, and becomes a little bit larger network. And I feel like anything in between or either of those options is, is great. Cause it, it, it sure, it sure did well on its first year, like that was super impressive and I, that's, I feel like it, the timing was right and the people were right and yeah, it, I think it's been a great success.
0: Yeah, actually, as I'm sitting here and just said 2018, I'm like, oh whoa, where <laughs> it's only 2020 right now. Right. That was it. Kind of does feel like it's been around for a while yeah. now. Yeah, just because of you know how great that community is mm-hmm. of the farmers and yeah, just how it has really taken off.
2: Yeah, people grow good shit out there. I'm just saying. <laughs> yes, yes good they do. Stuff.
0: So Beth, I want you to be able to tell us more about Xena Designs as well. That is your garden design company. Mm-hmm. And I actually was lucky enough to sit in on um, one of the backyard conservation. Oh yeah. And you did a class on yeah like permaculture, permaculture design. design. And it was awesome. Your um, mapping good. stuff was really cool. cool. So um, tell us a little bit more about that and what sets you apart from other design companies.
2: Well, so Zinnia Designs focuses really on helping people get more yield in their landscape. And so I should say, you know, I am not, um, a trained landscape designer or a landscape architect in any way, shape or form. My lens for design is definitely a permaculture lens. And so it really focuses on yield. And so growing more food, growing fiber, growing something that you're harvesting from your land and then making sure that you can keep your land healthy and have an understanding of how to make that a sustainable process. And I'm um, sustainable I think can be overused quite a bit. So I mean that really in the sense of having a healthy place that you're able to not pull too much from and and try to do things like keeping weeds down and keeping pests down and not using chemicals. So, so I think, I think there's a lot of similarities in like a, a traditional design if you had someone come to design your landscape and in fact I there's several people that I work with other designers who are also my mentors that have been working in landscape design for years and years and years and are incredible plant like encyclopedias for horticulture plants and plant combinations and what does well in our area so I rely heavily on on some of the other uh, design companies and design humans in town I really started that as a way to get out of my office job (laughs) it was my my just before like I knew I wanted to grow things and I knew that it was important to me and I also knew that I had to have some you know some job or some way to kind of learn how to have my own business but do something I felt confident in and and there's so many people, as I have grown food or had a garden my whole life, whenever I've had space to do it, that really do take it personal when things fail. Like, I do not have a green thumb. I can't grow anything. I can't, you know, have a garden. I'm just not good at it. And there's this real um, confidence component and this real taking it personal thing that I thought that was another main focus for this is is how how do i get people comfortable with and the people that want to do it themselves i think that's another difference like i really work with do it yourself i i mostly do consultations and then some design work so really getting people to look at their land feel comfortable with what they're seeing make observations and then make the correct choices for where they put the food they want to grow or maybe it's pollinator gardens like how to make those choices about plants and then what the variables are Mm. on their maybe just urban lot or i i mean i've worked with people that have like big 500 acre ranches and how do we decide where the garden goes or where the orchard goes or where to place things and make it so that it's user-friendly really you know how do you move through your space how do you make those choices and trusting your gut on observations for the land that you live on because you know your own land best no matter how big or small it is and then being able to really Encourage people that even if everything dies this first year, <laughs> if you want this, it will work. You, it will happen. You can do this. And so I also kind of have my list of other design companies that and, and other business owners that I recommend for like hardscaping or maybe sometimes if people really want a full-on horticulture design, I may not be the right person for that, but I can definitely tell you who I'd pick if it was me (laughs) that wanted that done, you know? So typically what happens is people want food in their landscape. And so I'm always a little bit in the horticulture world because people want it to be beautiful too. And I think there's a lot of permaculture, you know, like crack the joke about... The crazy yard, which is probably my yard, <laughs> 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 that is, you know, oh, that permaculture person has this yard you can't even walk through. And it's, you know, but there's beautiful examples. And permaculture, I mean, they're like beautifully landscaped yards that have a lot of edibles in it. You know, you kind of can put whatever term you want on it. But mm. I think the the main goal is really to help people make the right choices to grow whatever it is that they want on their own land and do it successfully over the time it needs to take, you know, within an appropriate scale, not just like overnight. There's somebody that can make that happen for you. That's not me overnight.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And so how can um, people get a hold of you if they're interested in? So that um, I'm sending
2: out an apology to several, a handful of people that did contact me this year right now because the flower farm definitely has... uh, taken over my life this year in particular so just recently i'm starting to kind of get back to people and see if they still need to schedule or if they've found somebody else to move on to but um i do have a zinnia designs.com or zinnia (laughs) permaculturedesigns.com i can't even remember my own website but we'll if you go to, to snapdragon website. yeah you could just go there and get a hold of me and um talk about a garden consultation or and i i will do my best to get back to you really soon um <laughs> yeah so kind of managing that's another piece that when i was talking earlier about like how do i make this work and what pieces are working and what pieces aren't and and i want more garden consultation and more ability to have like demonstration gardens on my own property to help people grow more flowers grow more food and mm. have more pollinators and kind of work with their own little ecosystem so that is yeah you can get a hold of me and i'll get back to you <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, Beth, thank you so much for being here. This was an awesome conversation with you. I just love how real and straightforward and open and you know honest you, you are wow. with your way and your approach with just everything so this has been great so we like to do a little bit of a spitfire round at the end of our interviews so that I know you're not supposed to do it <laughs> <do this.
1: laughs> it works <laughs>
0: <laughs> but just so we can get a little bit more um for our listeners of an idea of like your personality and all that Kay. good stuff so are you down you're yeah ready? yeah okay yeah. all right perfect I'm ready what's your favorite flower
2: Twinflower, Linnea Borealis. Nerd I'm alert. Ha- I was gonna- like,
0: I'm going to have to look that one up. <laughs> what's your favorite movie? Apocalypse Now. Oh, I don't think I've seen it.
2: What? <laughs> Does everyone say that when you say that for the movie? Everyone's like, what? You need to hear it. You're crazy.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite candy?
2: Oh,
0: oh um, Chocolate. Just any kind of chocolate? It's such specific. I guess I didn't say specific. That's true. I'm going to roll with chocolate. Just chocolate. (laughs) Awesome. Uh, Beatles or Rolling Stones? Stones. Nice. Um, If you could only eat one thing for the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh, my God. Oh, it'd probably be lentils. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not lying. Yum.
2: Prepared my way. Oh, how do you prepare yours? Oh, well, Jamie Oliver uh, recipe-ish, you cook your lentils down. So you put your lentils in. I like French green lentils or beluga lentils, best for this particular option. But you get them in your pan. Maybe there's like an inch or maybe inch and a half, two inches of water over the top, you know, uh, 45 minutes-ish. And then you drain out almost all the liquid. So make sure you've uh, cleaned them, picked over them really well first. And then you just do like glug, glug, glug olive oil and then uh, salt, pepper, a bunch of lemon juice. Like I like a lot of lemon juice and as many greens and herbs, like Mm. the whole pot is filled with it. And while it's hot, it all um, wilts down. It will blow your mind. Mm, I'm yum. not even kidding. It's great with salmon. It's great with sweet potatoes, kale. I know some people hate that. But yeah, it's good with all these different sides. So it is spectacular. Yum. I think I could that sounds eat delicious. that forever.
0: This is when my stomach growling shit <laughs> just came in. It and you have so a little good. yogurt with salt and pepper, like plain mm. yogurt on the top. Yeah, it's really good. Mm, yeah. Yum. Mm-hmm. If you would be any one of the pollinators, which one would oh. you be and why? Um, I'd either be a giant
2: bumblebee because they're really clumsy (laughs) (laughs) and they're so funny and you can pet them, or I'd be those little teeny tiny bees or like a sweat bee that bites you all the time. There's probably one of those three. I don't know if wasps count, but there's this teeny, 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 tiny wasp that always visits the flowers and I think that guy, he's fast and he's not messing around and he kind of bullies people out of the way. But I might be a wool carter bee too, because they're kind of fancy. <laughs> or I'd be one of those hummingbird moths. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Mm, unfamiliar. That's interesting.
0: Yeah. Mm. Okay. <laughs> Very cool. Well, thank you for playing thank along. You. Yeah. Thank you for being here. All right. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> Again, listeners go and check out snapdragonflowerfarm.com. Also make sure that you check out her Facebook page and her Instagram for some of the (laughs) most gorgeous photos of our lovely pollinators and all of the beautiful different flowers that you grow. I know that I, it always puts a smile on my face when I get your pictures up on my feed, so thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it.
2: You bet. Thank you for having me. All right.
0: All right, Beth. So we like to do a little bit of a Spitfire round at the end of our interviews so that. I know you're can not supposed to do it. <laughs> <this laughs> kind of
1: uh, it works. <laughs>
0: <laughs> just so we can get a little bit more um, for our listeners of an idea of like your personality and all that Kay. good stuff. So are you down? You're yeah, ready? yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, perfect. I'm ready. What's your favorite flower?
2: Twin flower, Linnea borealis.
0: Nerd I'm alert! I'm like I'm gonna have to look that one up. <laughs> what's your favorite movie? Apocalypse Now. Oh, I don't think I've seen it. What?
2: Does everyone say that when you say that for the movie? Everyone's like, "What? You need to hear. You're crazy."
0: Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite candy? Oh, um, chocolate. Just any kind of chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> such specific. Or I guess I didn't say specific. <laughs> That's true. I'm going to roll chocolate. Just chocolate. Awesome. <laughs> uh, Beatles or Rolling Stones? Stones. Nice. Um, if you could only eat one thing for the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh, my God. Oh, it'd probably be lentils. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm not lying. Yum. Prepared my way. Oh, how do you prepare yours? Oh, well, Jamie Oliver uh, recipe-ish, you cook your lentils down. So you put your lentils in. I like French green lentils or beluga lentils, best for this particular option. But you get them in your pan. Maybe there's like an inch or maybe inch and a half, two inches of water over the top, you know. Uh, 45 minutes-ish, and then you drain out almost all the liquid. So make sure you've uh, cleaned them, picked over them really well first. And then you just do like glug, glug, glug olive oil, and then uh, salt, pepper, a bunch of lemon juice. Like I like a lot of lemon juice. And as many greens and herbs, like mm. the whole pot is filled with it. And while it's hot, it all um, wilts down it will blow your mind. Mm, I'm yum. not even kidding. It's great with salmon. It's great with sweet potatoes, kale. I know some people hate that. But yeah, it's good with all these different sides. So it is spectacular. Yum. I think I could that eat delicious. that forever.
0: This is when my stomach growling I know my <laughs> shit I just came in. And you have a so little yogurt with salt and pepper, like plain mm. yogurt on the top. Yeah, it's really good. Mm, yeah. Yum. Mm-hmm. If you would be any one of the pollinators, which one would oh. you be and why? Um, i'd either be a giant
2: bumblebee because they're really clumsy (laughs) (laughs) and they're so funny and you can pet them or i'd be those little teeny tiny bees or like a sweat bee that bites you all the time there's probably one of those three i don't know if wasps count but there's this teeny, teeny teeny tiny wasp that always visits the flowers and I think that guy he's fast and he's not messing around and he kind of bullies people out of the way but I might be a wool carter bee too because they're kind of fancy <laughs> or I'd be one of those hummingbird moths <laughs> Ooh. yeah mm, unfamiliar, interesting.
0: yeah mm. okay <laughs> very cool well thank you for playing thank along you. Yeah. thank you for being here <laughs> all right Bye. bye <laughs> Rocks to Roots is sponsored by the Office of Farmland Preservation. Office of Farmland Preservation is a program within the Washington State Conservation Commission that works to address the rapid loss of working farm and forest lands in our state. Together, the Washington State Conservation Commission and conservation districts provide voluntary, incentive-based programs that empower private landowners to implement conservation on their property. You can learn more about their programs and services by visiting their website, scc.wa.gov. Want to learn more about the Spokane Conservation District? Visit their website, sccd.org, and follow them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. There you will learn more about their various programs and departments and what they're working on right now.